0: This morning our message is from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. Acts chapter 1, 6 to 11. Last week, we opened our sermon series by asking the question, Who are we? And that question is going to be a theme for this series. Last, last week scripture showed us that we are the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the sheep of of his pasture so what now that's who we are but but what does that mean what does that mean where do we go from here perhaps a, a better question is where is god bringing us from here what is he calling us to who are we He's calling us to a few things, and we're going to take a look at them as we continue this series. But today we're going to look at Acts 1, 6 to 11 and explore one aspect of life that God is calling us. He's calling His body to be a part of. Now as we, as we build up to Acts one here, Jesus has, has died, He has resurrected, He has come back from the dead. He has has visited with his disciples. He has encouraged this this budding church. You know, right after he died, they got nervous. They got scared. They went back to the way life was. And then Jesus comes, comes to them, calls them to action, reminds them of who they are, reminds them of what he has been teaching them for these past years that he has spent this time with them. And then it gets to the point where Where Jesus is is ready to ascend, where he is ready to leave them. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts 1, 6 to 11. We read the word of the Lord. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. This Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. For your word is truth. Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word today. That you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Now, there's a lot going on here, but we're going to take a look, specific look at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As a church, as individual members of His body, God has placed a few calls on our lives, our actions our gifts and abilities, and one of them is to be missional. God's body is missional. We are missional. So what is is missional? To be missional is to adopt the posture, thinking, behaviors, and practices of a missionary in order to engage others with the gospel to adopt the posture, thinking, behaviors, and practices of a missionary in order to engage others with the gospel message. To be missional is to act like a missionary, but but here at home, to intentionally live our lives in such a way that we are affecting people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Actively being used by God to win souls for His kingdom. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Often we, we hear that line, we hear this verse, and we think of the ends of the earth, you know, we think of, of Samaria, maybe, maybe Judea, but not really. Jerusalem so much. Not necessarily Jerusalem so much. And this is because when we think of missions, we think of those that are sent. You know, We think of our missionaries. We think of the Narvisans, who are a Lutheran brother and missionary family who just arrived in Chad this past Christmas after spending a year in France learning the language. I went to seminary with Dave. We're uh, we're friends. It's it's cool to, to see God working in that way, but I mean, they're missionaries. They're across the sea, right? They're on, they're on the other side of the country, hanging out in Africa now, and getting ready to be placed in, in the, the little town that they're going go to go to, to minister to the, the Fulbe people over in Chad. Or maybe we think of the Kittlesons who were just with us this past November and their ministry in Japan. We think of, of far away. We think of ends of the earth. Or we think of Samaria, right, which would be the countries near us or, or close to us. We think of the missions trips to, to Mexico that we see many of our, our Lutheran brethren youth going on. Yearly, we send a bunch of kids from the Midwest and, and Washington, from the Pacific area there, uh, down to Mexico on a short-term mission trip in, in the spring over Easter. Or maybe we think of Judea, which would be the equivalent of, of here in the U.S. We think of the Sorensons planting Epiphany in Manhattan. We think of the Olsons down in Florida, planting Grace Community Church in in Wesley Chapel. In his book, Mission from the Cross, Klaus Detlef Schultz states that, to many in the American church, mission is something that takes place overseas or far away from us. They've operated under the belief system that they primarily fulfilled their missionary obligation by supporting foreign mission through tithing, and donations. As a church, a large part of our struggle with mission has been understanding where mission is to take place. We think of people that are sent, and we support these missions through prayer, through finances, but there's one place that is missing from this sending of Christ. Ends of the earth, right? Samaria, Judea. Jerusalem. In our context, the equivalent would be Bergenfield, Dumont, Fairlawn, North Jersey, where you live, where you go to church. Who's been sent here? Who are the missionaries here? You are, right? We are. We have been sent. The body of Christ is missional. You have been sent. And that's, that's a little scary. That's a little scary, isn't it? That you've been sent. That we've been sent to live missionary lives to our friends, co-workers, family that we've been asked to adopt missionary posture, thinking, behaviors, and practices in order to engage others with the gospel message, in order to engage our neighbors with the gospel message. And that's scary. That can be intimidating. Why? Why is this scary for us? There are two main reasons. The first is is we ask the question, how will this affect me? The fear of how will this affect me? What are people going to say? What are my friends going to think? How will people respond? Will this affect my social circles? Am I I ready for that? Am am I okay with that? Being a Christian today is, is one thing. Being a Christian today and and having others know about it, well, that's, you know, that's something else. But being a Christian today and actively, intentionally proclaiming the gospel, man, that's a whole new world altogether. When people find out you're a Christian, there are instant stereotypes that are put on you, right? If you're a Christian, you're a bigot. You're a homophobe, you're inclusive, you're a hypocrite. Since you're a Christian, your political affiliations also, you know, they make you a racist. Now let me stress, these are stereotypes. They are not accurate representations of what a Christian is. And they are absolutely not what we are called to be. We're called to love people. We're also called to stand... On the word of God. I believe that we can do both. I know that we can do both. We can both disagree with a person's lifestyle and yet love them fiercely. Society cannot take that from me. They cannot take that from you. It is what God has called us to. It is how he has called us to think. And to act. And that's how God loves us, right? He loves us in spite of our sin. We don't become perfect for him to love us. He loved us anyway, cared for us anyway, sent his son to die for us. Even though we weren't perfect. Even though we couldn't be perfect. Though society has tried to color this as an impossibility. That we must accept everything about a person in order to care for them. The Bible and our experience with God, it tells us otherwise. That it is possible. And beyond that, that it's necessary. It's necessary. We are not defined by what society thinks. We're not defined by the trolls on, on Twitter or Facebook. but we are scared of it. We can be intimidated by it. Our neighbor is persuaded by it. And so it's scary to let them know that we are Christians, and even scarier to proclaim the gospel to them. What if they think I'm one of those terrible things? What if they think I'm a a bigot, a racist, a hypocrite? How will that affect my witness? Better to just not tell them, right? Better to just keep it to myself. Better to, to live a moral life and just, I don't know, hope, hope that they they ask me about it sometime. And hey, you know, maybe maybe they will. Maybe they will. But if they don't ask you about it, know that you are called to be missional to reach out with the gospel, to proclaim the gospel. Which brings us to the second element of of being missional that scares us. Fear number two, what will I say? What will I say? What if I I say the wrong thing? What if I don't know what to say? What if I freeze and, and look like a fool what if I misspeak and, and put, them, put them down like a bad theological path or something? For that matter, I don't have all of my theology perfectly put together in my brain or, or all of the Bible passages perfectly memorized. So what if I screw up? What if I do it wrong? If I stumble over my words when I talk to people and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm just not entirely comfortable I'm not a public speaker after all, what, what if that happens? What about my humiliation? What if I end up just a disgrace? You know, what then? This fear's rational, right? It's understandable. For some of us, it's a, it's a personal thing. We're uncomfortable with confrontation or, or when there's the possibility of confrontation. And we definitely imagine that there will be confrontation in this scenario. There most likely won't be, but we imagine that there there will be. For some of us, it's a knowledge thing. We don't want to screw up and we're nervous. We won't have the right words at the right time. For some, it's a presentation thing. I stutter. I clam up. I've got deficiencies, pastor. i got issues. You can't ask me to talk about these things. I'm not asking you to. God is asking you to. I'm I'm just the messenger. But make make no mistake, this is a message to me too. This is all stuff that I find very hard, that I've been really bad at, that I've ignored. Being honest in, in my life, in my walk. But he's calling me to trust him with it. He's calling me to have faith that he is able, just as he is calling you to that same faith. How does scripture respond to our fears? How does scripture respond to these things that we struggle with? How does God address our fears about being missional? To the first one, the how will this affect me? How is this going to affect my life? How is this going to affect how people see me and perceive me? How is this going to affect my social circles? We see Jesus' response in Matthew 8, chapter 18 to 20, chap- verse 18 to 22, Matthew 8, 18 to 22. We read, Now then Jesus saw a crowd around him. He gave orders to go over to the other side, and a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my Father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. What? Often these verses are looked at with some bewilderment. How could Jesus have been so cruel? But what to us may look like cruelty to Jesus, it is saying, what are your priorities? It's saying, don't get comfortable I have not called you to a life of comfortability, popularity, or security. I have called you to a life of mission. I have called you to a life of pushing and pulling and stretching and refining. But do not fear. Though I push and pull and stretch and refine you, I will not abandon you. I will be with you through all of it. But do not be confused. You have not been called to a life of ease, but to a life of mission. Probably not exactly what we want to hear, right? Like that's not exactly what I was hoping I would get, but, but it's what he says. It's what we're given, and it's the truth. He's not pulling his punches. Life is not going to be easy. And living life missionally most likely will not make life any easier. But it's what we're called to. We're called to love people. And people are hard. They will betray us, abandon us, accuse us, hurt us. And in spite of all that, we're called to love them. We're called to reach out to people with the gospel. Man, what a privilege. What a blessing. What about our other fear? How does scripture respond to, what will I say? This response adds a little bit of aloe to the burn of this call to being missional. First, let's let's take a look at Moses. I mean, he's a classic example, right? We read about his being sent to the people in Egypt in Exodus 3. So Moses, once a, you know, in a high position in Egypt through a series of events, he's, he's, he's the son of, of the Pharaoh. He's, he's a big guy, Well, son of the Pharaoh's daughter. So, you know, grandson, basically, through adoption of, of the Pharaoh. Gets himself into some trouble defending his people who are in slavery in Egypt. And he runs, man. He takes off. He's like, I'm done. I can't, I can't stand to see my people being subjected to this anymore. I've taken a stand. I've, I've taken my stand. And then, and then he's gone. He's out. He gets, in, he gets in a lot of trouble, and so they, they, they want his head. And he leaves, and, and he becomes a shepherd out in the, out in the desert, out in the, the, you know, the barren lands. And then God comes to him. As he's tending his sheep, there's this bush that's on fire, and it's it's burning but it's not consumed. It's burning but it's not consumed. And a voice speaks to him from the bush. It says, Hey Moses, you're stand, remove your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. And and then he says, Moses, I got something for you to do. I got something I, I want you, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to set my people free. I want you to set my people free. In Exodus 8, 11, we get get Moses' response to Jesus telling him to go back to a place he doesn't want to go. Go back to a place he's scared of. Go back to a place that they, they wanted his head. Like he, murder arrest, like warrants out for this guy's arrest, right? I want you to go back there. He said, but Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel Out of Egypt. Who am I that I should do that? I'm not qualified, man. I can't do that. I'm just a dude. I'm a shepherd. I'm taking care of sheep. I can't talk in front of people. I can't do that stuff. Who am I that you would send me back over there to do that? I don't have the qualifications. I don't have the ability. I can't do that. How does God respond? In Exodus 8, 12, the next, the, the next line, he said, but I will be with you. But I will be with you. You do not go alone. I will be with you. I will give you the words to say, you will be my instrument and I, the musician, I will be with you you may not feel qualified I am your qualification I will be with you another example is Gideon we talked about Gideon just a couple weeks ago Gideon didn't want to do what God had called him to do right I mean this is the time of the judges and and Midian is oppressing and Gideon's basically like he's a scared little dude like Gideon's a scared guy uh, when God first comes to him, he's hiding so the Midians don't find him. Should they come raiding? Should they show up, he's hiding in, in case of that possibility. He's like taking, you know, taking in the shade under a tree. He's like, eh, don't, don't find me here. And God comes to him and says, I'm going to use you, dude. You're my guy. And the first thing I want you to do is I want you to go into your town and tear down the Asherah pole. Asherah is the God that the, the, the God that uh, Israel, that, that, that Midian worshipped and that the Israelites were, were then worshipping in, instead of God. He says, I want you to go into town and I want you to tear that puppy down. And Gideon's like, OK, so what he do he do? You do it in the middle of the day? No, man. He waited until everybody was asleep. It's pitch black outside It's like, all right, now I'm going to get my oxen, throw some ropes around this pole, and we're tearing the sucker down. And then when it got torn down, the next morning, everyone's coming for his head. They're like, all right, Gideon, you're ours, you're dead. His dad steps in. He's like, no, we're going we're gonna to keep him. You're not going to kill my son for doing this. Right? So, that's, so Gideon listens to God, but he's scared. Well, he does it. He does it at dark. He does it at night. He does it when no one else can see. And then it comes time when God's like, all right, Gideon, now, now we're going to go, we're going to cast out Midian. Are you really sure you're calling me? Are you sure, man? I'm going to do some tests. We're going to do a couple tests. And, and we're going to see if this, like, this ball of wool, I'm, I'm going to put it on the ground, and, and if, if, the, if, if the top is, is wet and the bottom's dry, then we're good, right? And, and so that happens. And then, ah, oh, now we're going to switch it. Because maybe something happened. And it. So we're going to go back, and now I'm going to ask for the reverse. Constantly asking for signs. Scared, nervous. And what did God use Gideon to do? He used Gideon in a paltry army of 300 men, which he whittled down to 300 men to set them free from the Midianites with pots and torches and their vocal cords. I will be with you. I will be with you. God was with Moses. God was with Gideon. And God has promised to be with us as well. Let us not forget our passage this morning, beginning of verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's not sending us in alone. We've been given power through the Holy Spirit. He is with us. He will not abandon us. We're not promised comfort. But we are promised His presence. As we're working through this call to be missional, This call to reach out to those around us by actively and intentionally adopting the posture, thinking, behaviors, and practices of a missionary in order to engage others with the gospel message. Let us not forget who will be doing the work. We plant this seed. But man, God makes it grow. It is by his power that the church grows. And the church will grow. The church in America, the church around the world, the Christian church, is not dying. It is not on its way out. Though individual churches may struggle and and die, the church universal is not dying. God will not let it. The church is the body of Christ and it will not die. It is not up to us to keep the church going. It is up to God. It is up to us to respond to his calling in our lives to be the church, to be the body of Christ, to be missional. This is not our mission. This is God's mission. As our CLBA statement on missional theology puts it, According to a missional reading of scripture, mission is not a segment of the church's life. Rather, the church exists in the world to participate in God's mission of calling the world to himself through faith in Jesus Christ. John 1713 to 23. Its divine calling to take the gospel to the whole world shapes the whole church. And as some missional writers put it, defines its very essence. The church, then, doesn't have a mission. Rather, God's mission has a church. The church, then, doesn't have a mission. Rather, God's mission has a church. That line has changed my life. It has changed my view has affected me so deeply because it is so true. We struggle and try and, and, and invest so much. We've got to make this happen. We've got to push this. God's mission as a church. God wants to use us to affect, to reach out, to minister. God's mission has a church and you are God's church you are the ones he is calling into his mission you are the ones that he desires to use in that mission are we answering the call as individuals as a church how are we responding to God's call to mission? How might we be called to respond? As we ponder this call to missional living, I would encourage you as individuals and as members of the body here at Calvary to be thinking not only of how God desires to use you to bring more sheep into the fold, but how he desires to use this church, Calvary, to be a city on a hill here in Bergenfield. Man, let us be used by him. Let us be used by him. Let us answer his call to be missional. To reach out to the loss that he has brought into our lives and that he has placed among us here in our community. God bless you. Everyone. Amen.